0: Let's go to the Lord. Father, we do, again, we thank you, God, for all of the people and all of the conflicts in the history of this country that, that, Lord, they've given up everything so that we can have this country, so that we can even be here this morning. So thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for those men and women. And I pray, God, I pray that as we get into your word, it will impact our lives. As we look at what James communicated to that generation and, and Lord, what was going on in their lives at that time and how we can parallel that with what's going on in our lives and The greatest thing is, though, God, that we can believe your word and then do your word. So, Lord, give us hearts that are pliable, hearts that are ready to be molded by you, and speak to us today, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we're getting ready here and and getting into the book of James, the interesting thing to me is he closes out the whole book with this whole topic of prayer. And now James has kind of talked about prayer throughout the book. Definitely in chapter one, he brings up prayer. In chapter four, he brings up, you know, prayer, why we don't have things. But then throughout the book, kind of covertly, he sort of talks about prayer. And then now here he gets to the end and he lets us know that we need to be a praying people. I believe everyone, no, I, I, no matter who you ask, I believe everyone, when you ask them towards the end of their life, what's one thing you could change? you Christians, I should say. What's the one thing you could change? Almost everybody says, I wish I would have prayed more. Billy Graham, I remember when they asked him, he said, man, I just should have prayed more. And so James is, is encouraging us that, to that today. Now, here's what I know. If we were more of a praying church, and I'm not just talking about praying corporately. I'm talking about individuals. If we were praying more, we would be fighting less. We would be bickering less. We would be backbiting a lot less if we were praying more. So I'm, I'm really excited to think about reading James and then doing it making it real in our lives. I like to call it fleshing out. Now, I'm, when, I, when I say that, I'm not talking about fleshing out in the world. I'm talking about making this real and walking in it. So James's exhortation is, let's just do it. Now, the thing that sort of blew my mind the last couple weeks looking at this, th- verses 13 through 19, were the complexity that commentators made of this. And I'm just going, Seriously? Like they began to do things and and go places with this passage. I thought, why? here's the thing. Why can't we just read our Bibles and believe them and do it? Why do we have to make it so? I don't think, listen, I think God wrote to us in simple English. I know the original writing of the New Testament is in the simple Greek of the day, God wants to, don't make it complex. He wants to communicate to our hearts and He wants to be involved in our lives. So I'm reading some of these commentators, and, you know, I like to say some taters are more common than others. But listen, I'm reading these guys and I'm going, seriously? Like, why, why do you have to do that? And here's what happens all of a sudden, you're down this road and you're not even looking at what is said here. So I'm going to keep it simple. Look at what He says in verse 13. Oh, by the way, verse 12, he had talked about not taking oaths, right? And not swearing, not doing those things. And again, it's not that, hey, if you go to court or whatever, you have to take an oath. He's not talking about that. He's saying, don't do that. And here's what he's saying. Instead of doing that, why don't you do this? And then he says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? He says, let him sing psalms. Now, I don't think that's real complicated. Again, some of, some of these guys spent pages and pages on that. Well, what is suffering? What did he really mean by suffering? And I'm thinking, duh, number one, who's he writing to? He's writing to a group of Christians that are being persecuted for their faith. They've been scattered. So what does he mean by suffering? I think he means about physical suffering. I think he's talking about emotional suffering. I think he's talking about hard times. I think the NIV said, are you having difficult times? I think he's talking about all of that. Listen, when I hear the word suffering, I don't narrow it down to one little thing. I think it's pretty broad. But here's what James says. When you're suffering, pray. Don't complain. Don't have a fit. Don't do those things. Pray. Stop and pray. I believe for the majority of Christians, we probably do that. I know when I get blindsided by things and things come up, I pray. But the second part where he says, if anyone is cheerful, let him sing songs of, or sing psalms. And I think he's just talking about, listen, again, I think he's talking about connecting with God, whether we sing or, or pray or whatever. He's talking about, now, here's what I know. When things are going good and it's woohoo, I'm not one who really calls on God that much. I'd like, I would like to fake it and tell you guys I am so spiritual. That when those things happen, I am definitely there. No, I have to be really honest. I want to be there. But James is telling us this. Whether you're way up here, filled with joy and things are going great, or you're as low as you can get, here's what you need to do. You need to connect with God. You need to do that. And if we would just heed that much of this passage, Jesus said, get close to the Lord and connect with the Lord. And so that's where he starts. Now, now listen, now he's going to get a little bit more specific about things and a little bit more practical. And verses 13 through 16 were where the commentators went all over the place. And here's what happened. Some people, some people don't like what it says, because it doesn't line up with their theology. So they try and massage it to say something it's not saying so that they don't have to admit their theology is wrong. When I was in Bible college, I'll never forget, the director of the Bible college, as we started, it was like our third or fourth day there, he says, here's what I'm gonna tell you guys. He says, you need to, you need to have strong convictions about your theology, because I think that's important. And by the way, we all have theology. Some of ours is really bad, but we all have theology. But he says, listen, you got to have strong convictions, but if scripture disagrees with your theology, change your theology, not scripture. And it was bugging me as I was reading some of this. So some guys that doesn't agree with their theology, they massage it that way. Some people want to take this and make it say something it doesn't so they can build a whole doctrine on it, etc., etc. Now, again, I think... I think it's simple. The past few weeks, as I've been teaching, I've been saying, I'm a simple guy. That's the thing, man. Here's the one thing. I want to read my Bible and believe it. I don't want to make it all complex. I'm not a mystical guy. I don't want to like, woo. You know, if you had the decoder ring, you too could understand. I just want to read it. Years ago, I read a, a, a biography about a guy, and, and I think the book was called Manuel. I don't think it's in print anymore. It's about, it's about a guy who, it, he was in one of the South American countries. I think it was Colombia, but I'm not sure. But he was in a South American country living up in an isolated area, and he wanted to learn English. Now he was a guy who was a great entrepreneur in his little community. He owned the the store, the brothel, the bar. He owned all of these things, and he wanted to learn English. And some missionaries had left a Bible, so he started reading the Bible to learn English, and he got saved. He started reading it, and all of a sudden he believed it, and he got saved. And then, as he got saved, he started evangelizing just because he read what the Bible said, and he started doing it. So. Here's the crazy thing. He's serving shots of tequila and Jesus to the same people, right? He's like, he's like doing that. And so some missionaries come and they go, dude, you can't be doing that. And he goes, really, I'm doing something wrong? Like he had no clue. And they go, yeah, this is like, and he goes, here's what what was great about Manuel." he goes, okay, show me in here where it says that. And so they would get the Bible. They would read it to him and he'd go, okay. If that's what the Bible says, I won't do that anymore. So he had to kind of, cool down that, he sort of changed out of the bar mode and made it more of a, of a community store. Oh, by the way, he had three wives, so he had to deal with that whole issue. But as he, listen, as he learned the Bible, he would do that. This guy planted 200 churches in the mountains of Colombia, And so the missionaries come and they go, what's your secret, man, what do you do? And he goes, well, we just read the Bible and did what it said, Wow. How novel, right? So all of that to say, we need to sometimes keep it simple and not make it complex. So I'm going to read 13 through 16 or through part of 16. Then we're going to come back and talk about it. And again, I don't think it's real, real complicated. In verse, I'm sorry, 14 through uh, 16. In verse 14, it says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I think that's pretty simple. Now again, as I said, some take this And they they mess it up. There are those who take this as a formula that everybody's supposed to be well. And yet everybody gets healed. Saints, you gotta read all of your Bible, not just part of it. And we know that that's not a doctrine, and we know that that's not taught in the Bible. Everybody's not going to be made well. And this passage doesn't even say that. It doesn't guarantee that. So there are those who take that train. And then the interesting thing, I didn't know this. I knew that the the, the Roman Catholic Church has last rites that they give to people who are dying, and and, uh, I know they do that. But I didn't know they got it from this passage. And they take this passage and they kind of massage it. Now, here's the thing. It's so contradictory, right? To me, this passage is saying, if someone is sick, let them call, you know, for the elders and have them pray for them so that they can get well, not so that they can die. You know what I mean? I, I read that and I thought, well, that's kind of messing that up. And then tons of in between. One guy spent forever saying, what does sick mean? Seriously? He's the same guy that wanted to know what suffering meant. And I'm going, man, you're making it too hard. If anyone is sick, now here's where I don't think we practice this as much as we could. It says, is anyone sick? Let him call the elders and have them pray for him or her. It never says in the Bible that the elders, the pastors, Are supposed to go out and find sick people. Listen, in the church tradition, Tradition has taken over and people think your responsibility as a pastor is to find out when people are sick and go pray for them and do things. It's not what this says. This says the responsibility is on the sick person to call the elders and ask them to pray, not for the elders to call the sick people to see if they can pray for them. Our responsibility is, hey, I'm sick. Would you pray for me? And again, I, we practice this here. We have people call, and listen, we have never told somebody who called, nah, I don't think so. We really don't want to pray for you. We don't do that. We might start. That's a joke. <laughs> Some of you, like, open your eyes real bright. But listen, call the elders. And it's funny, because last night, somebody wanted to make it all complex. Well, I need to know the name of every elder so I can call them. No, you don't. Well, how do I get a hold of them? Call the church. Someone answers the phone. No, we never answer our phone at the church. It's on, no, that's, again, <laughs> sarcasm. But anyway, listen, call the elders. You don't have to have every elder's name. You can, you can call the church. You can get a hold of us. But, but here's what he says, man. Let them call the elders and let the elders come and anoint them with oil and pray for them. Now, what did James mean by anointing with oil? That's my fun one. I think. I think, I think, again, I think it's pretty simple. Here, when we pray for people, we anoint with oil kind of the conservative way. We just take a little dab, put it on the person, and pray for them and lay hands on them. Now, if someone is, you know, people say, Well, he didn't say to lay hands on them. How are you gonna? anoint them if you don't lay hands on them. Use a big stick and maybe during this time of social distancing, we should do that. But anyway, listen, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to anoint them with oil. Now me personally, I have done a lot of Bible study. In the Bible, when they talked about anointing with oil, it wasn't all this clean, nice little thing we do. They would get a jug of oil, and they would glug, 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 and it would go down their hair, down their face, men, down their beards, down their clothes, and they would, you would know you were anointed with oil when they got done. I have always wanted to do that. And when people come in, I just want to get like a gallon of olive oil. Bloop, 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 bloop. bloop, And just watch it, but the rest of the pastors won't let me do it. you can't do that. So... Now you know why not many people call us, huh? Because, this is, I, I want, or, or you know, then people say, people have actually called and said, is your oil holy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know. I'm not sure, it's, I know it's getting kind of old, but <laughs> it's like, listen carefully. It's not the oil that does the work. It's God who does the healing. The oil is a venue, an avenue, if you will, I think, of faith, to put faith in. And bottom line, it's this. God has told us to pray. This way he's told us, anoint with oil and pray. Why do I do that? Because God told me to do that. There's nothing mystical about the oil. There's nothing magical. Well, what kind of oil should you use? Whatever you have. Again, I've wanted to take people, and I've heard of this. I've heard of people being stranded out someplace, and they take a dipstick out of their car and take the oil and go across their head and pray for them. Again, I've wanted to do that. Actually, I've wanted to get a whole uh, jar or bottle of 30-weight and and see what happens. But again, we wouldn't do that. I just want you to know if you're coming or calling. We're not going to do that, probably. But anoint them, listen, anoint them with oil. Again, the oil's not the mystical, magical part. It's being faithful to what God says. He says, so you pray for them, you anoint them with oil. He says, in the name of the Lord. Again, not, to, not, not just to tack that on there. And I know when I pray, and I know when a lot of us pray, we're done, we say in the name of Jesus. I'm hoping we're not just getting repetitious with that and just tacking that on there so I could say I prayed in the name of Jesus. What we're saying is... My prayer is in agreement with Jesus under his authority and everything he is. When you're praying for someone to get well, you're praying in the name of Jesus. Jesus has given you that authority, and you're doing that. So he says, in the name of Jesus, and then, then, listen, he doesn't even, quote, guarantee healing. He says, you do that, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. The New King James says, save instead of heal. I kind of like that idea. Now here's what I know, oh, and there was a long discussion. Was James talking about medicinally using oil? Because they did use some oils medicinally. Was that what he was talking about? You're supposed to massage it in, you know, wherever the herd is and stuff. Maybe somewhat, but here's what I know. When he says, and that prayer of faith, and and, uh, and we'll, we'll save the city, here's what I know, is God heals so many different ways. Sometimes it's a miraculous healing. And you're just like blown away. Sometimes he heals through medicine. And all of a sudden you're taking the right medicine and things. Sometimes he heals through doctors during surgery. But I know this, every healing is of the Lord. I don't care how it's accomplished. It's of the Lord. And we need to give him the glory and him the credit, no matter how it's done. But this is not a guarantee saying, if I call the elders, they put oil on me, I'm going to be well. So God can heal those ways and God can give you the ultimate healing. And that's taking you home. And it's okay. Sometimes people get so upset when you pray for somebody and they die. That to me is the ultimate healing. So when he tells us to do that, and notice he says this prayer of faith, and I think when he's talking about is it's the faith of those praying. What, What do faith healers do? When faith healers pray for somebody and they don't get well, what's the first thing that comes out of their mouth? You didn't have enough faith. Man, that makes me so angry. A person is sick, they're hurting, and they go to you for prayer, and then you lay that on them? I'm glad they're accountable to Jesus for doing that, but here it's just the opposite. It's not the faith of the sick person, it's the faith of those praying, I like that. He puts it on them, and listen, again, it's not meaning like, oh, you didn't get healed, I didn't have enough faith. I pray in faith every time we pray for somebody. When people call us and ask us, and we gather together, I just know God's gonna do something incredible, and that's how I pray. And then I always say, but Lord, you know, kind of remember in the 50s, Father knows best. Father knows best. And I can just commit those people into the hands of the Lord and know He, he is going to do the absolute best thing for them. Years ago, I was in India, and we were doing an outreach in this community. Now, you have to understand, a community in India is about a million people. That's a small little community. And... Uh, so we're in this community and we're doing an outreach and we got done and this gentleman came up and he said, would you guys pray for my wife? We said, sure, we would love to. And he said, we said, have her come up. And he goes, well, no, she can't. You need to come to my house. So we kind of wove through some houses and alleys and got to his house and they brought her out on a cot. And when they brought her out, all there was was a, an emaciated skeleton. It was heartbreaking looking at this lady that way and, and we said, what happened? And he said, well, she has tuberculosis, she has TB. And we said, why didn't you get medicine? And he said, it was either feed my kids or buy medicine for my wife. And so it's heartbreaking. Now, he's asked us to pray for her. Here, do you guys ever counsel God? Do you, do you ever, like, give him some advice? So I'm, I'm there, and I'm getting ready to pray, and in my mind, here's what, I'm, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm thinking or, you know, counseling God with. I'm going, Lord, this is a big one, man. Do you know what this would do for the life of that family? You raise this lady up off that sick bed. That family is going to be impacted. This village is going to be impacted. And so many people are going to come to the Lord through this. This is going to be so good. All you need to do is raise her up. I'm like, and here's in my heart, I'm convinced he's going to do it because this is a perfect scenario. Man, this is great, right? And I'm I'm like ready. And then I'm thinking all of India is going to come to Jesus because of this, this one act. And so we're there and we get ready and 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 I laid hands hands on her. And and, uh, Danny Turner was with me. He says, so you're really going to touch her, huh? And I go, yeah. I'm like, how else am I going to pray for her? And he goes, are you afraid of TB? And I go, no, not really, but kind of now I am that you brought it up (laughs) and really thought about it but but man I started praying for and I closed my eyes and here's what here's what I knew with all of my heart I knew I was going to open my eyes and that lady was going to be full-bodied she was going to sit up and she was going to stand up and she's going to say praise Jesus didn't happen didn't happen My heart was broke. I gotta be really honest, man. My heart was broke. I thought, seriously, Lord? I even talked to him about it. I go, you get this great opportunity in front of you and you don't take advantage of it? Like, what is the matter? And I just knew in in three days she was gone. Why didn't God heal her? I mean, his family had nothing else. Why didn't God heal her? My Pat answer, because my name's Pat, is this. I don't know, I have no idea. But here's what I do know. God is faithful, God is true, God is just, God is love, and he did the absolute best thing in that circumstance even though I can't put it together. Check this out, because too many people wonder things like this. Check this out, in the church when it was first being born, two guys got put in jail, remember that story? One of them's name's James and one of them's name's Peter. They go, both got put in jail. Do you know what happened? James got beheaded and killed. Peter got broke out of jail. Why? Why did that happen? I don't know. Some people go, well, you know, James was a little flaky and Peter was so much higher on. Come on. Like, we don't know. So here's the thing. You, it's not for you to ask why or for you to demand like I was from God. It's for you to be obedient. Let him call the elders so our position call the elders, let the elders pray in faith. And I love it, that sick person will be saved. And then he throws this caveat in there. And if, at the end of verse 15, if he's committed any sins, he will be forgiven. I kind of like that idea because some, listen, some sickness, hear me carefully, some comes from sin in our life. And we need to get rid of that sin. Now, I'm not saying all, but sometimes that happens. And he goes, hey, if that's happening, you're going to see some great things. And then as James talks about that, it triggers for him. And he goes, hey, church, verse 16, confess your trespasses or sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Oh, wow. Once again, he's not talking about going in some little box and confessing to somebody and, 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 you know, putting all that out and they, quote, don't confess back to you. Notice he says confess to one another. Now, when he says that, here's the thing. I think you need some discernment on that. Like, I would never say, okay, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to confess sins to one another. This group over here, you kind of come over here, you pick somebody, and you guys get together and start confessing. I would, that's outrageous, right? And some of you are going, oh, well, thank you, man. My palms were sweating. I thought, like, <laughs> you got to be discerning. Like, you don't want to be... Just pick a random person. Hey, you know what? Here's what's going on in my life. And here's how I'm doing this and this and this and this. And they go, okay, well, we're supposed to confess our sins to one another. So, you know, I need to confess to you. I'm a gossip and I need to go make a phone call right now. Right? Don't do that. You need to have discernment in who you're going to get close with, who you're going to do that. Having said that, though, I think this is a powerful, powerful part of the Christian life and the Christian church. And I believe the church should be doing this. And It breeds accountability with one another and you start doing that. And, and listen, the way it's worded, it could even be pressed to this point. Go confess that, to that person that you have something against and go get that right. Get that right, saints. Take care of it. I like that idea. Don't harbor things. Don't be that person like, man, every time you see them, like you walk in the back doors, you see him sitting over there, and now you're over here. Come on. And I think he's talking about that, but I think he's also, be making ourselves accountable, and then how about this? Pray for one another that you may be healed. Start praying for each other. And let's be a church that cares and prays for each other. Now he gets, I think, to the great illustration. Look at the end of verse 16. He says this, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven, uh, the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So James is like, he's thinking about confessing with one another, he's thinking about elders praying, and he's thinking about us praying for one another, and here's what he says, man. As you pray for one another, here's what you need to know. The prayers of a righteous man are effective. For you guys who write in your Bibles, write this in the margin. It does not say self-righteous man. Gotta mark that down, man. The last thing you wanna do is ask some self-righteous guy to pray for you, because they're gonna be all like, really, you did that? Well, I would never think of doing that. They're gonna get, hey, a righteous man, what makes a man righteous? The blood of Jesus Christ. You see, you wanna find somebody who's humbly walking with the Lord, who understands who they are in Christ and doing that. And I'm telling you, man, I think sometimes those guys Those guys, and he says, hey, man, their prayer is effective. Years ago, I was in Mexico. We were going down to a tribal area. We were going to fly in, and we landed in in Durango, the city of Durango, and and, uh, we had to spend a night, and we spent the night with this guy. I don't even remember what ministry he was with, and we got up in the morning, and he prayed for us to leave. Have you ever been with those people who, like, pray, and you're going, wow, wish I could pray like that. Do you know what I mean? You're going, whoo! And because here's how I pray God help. That's about as eloquent as I get, you know? And like this guy like was eloquent and I thought God was so impressed with him. He even had tears and all he was telling us was goodbye, you know, he had tears going and I'm going, yeah, man, I'm a young Christian, I'm thinking, I want when I grow up, man, I want to be like that. And we flew out and we flew down to this village and uh, we were there about 12 days and we flew back in, we we're in a little prop plane, flew back in, in Durango, we're going through the airport he is going the opposite way with marshals in handcuffs. He was molesting the maids that were working for him. Here's my point. It's not eloquent words that makes an effective, fervent prayer. It's the heart, it's the heart. And you know, sometimes, sometimes people, have, I've even had people tell me, that wasn't a very good prayer. I love it when they do that, because here's what I tell them, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to God, you just got to listen. Like, that's so gross, people do that though, right? Hey, it's the prayer of a guy, and some of the most fervent prayers can be, when Peter yelled, Lord help, that was a fervent prayer, right? And it can be that way. Another time in Mexico, we're showing a Jesus movie and it started raining, it just started drizzling. And I remember Alfredo, the Mexican national we're working with, Alfredo says, hey, we need to pray and ask God to stop the rain. And I go, yeah, and two of us go, yeah, just let's go back here and pray. He goes, no, we need to get the microphone and pray out loud that God would stop the rain. We have all of these (laughs) these, uh, Tarahumara Indians around us and we're going, dude, you don't wanna do that, man. He goes, why? We go, what if he doesn't stop the rain? We'll look foolish. He goes, we need to do it out loud. We're going, oh, no. And so he gets the microphone. He goes out there. We're going, he is going to be so embarrassed. He prays, rain stops. That's the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man. Why? Because he was trusting God. So listen, and again, it's not all what sometimes we think. It's just trusting the Lord. And that's what Elijah, it's interesting, he brings this up, and then who's he bring up? Elijah. And he uses him for an illustration. Now, for homework, since we're all locked in our houses and you can't go anywhere, for homework, you read 1 Kings 17 through 2 Kings chapter 2. That's the whole ministry, the whole lifespan of Elijah. But if you're not gonna do that, which most of you are not gonna do that, then read 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19 because that's what he's quoting here. But here's what I love. Listen, as he talks about Elijah, listen to the first thing he says. He says, "Right, an effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man gets a lot done. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Man, if you're a Bible highlighter, highlight that. Elijah wasn't some kind of super saint. He wasn't kind of some kind of super spiritual being. Elijah was a man, a person just like us. He had to deal with things. He had to walk through things. He had to do life. And he's letting us know that. And then he tells us, listen, he tells us, he says, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. I gotta be really honest. If I'm writing the Bible and I'm gonna use Elijah for an illustration, I wouldn't be that brief about it. I would be talking about when he raised up the widow's son. I'd be talking about up on Mount Carmel, man, when he threw down with all those Baal worshipers and he said, let's go, let's do this now. You call on your God. I mean, I, all, of that, all of that is in this, but here's what James brings up. He told it not to rain It quit raining, and he told it to rain and it rained. Now, why does he bring that up? Because the prayer of Elijah was very simple. You need to understand, all Elijah did was agree with God. Check this out, for homework, read the book of Deuteronomy. Some place in there, it says this. I'm not gonna give you the reference. Here's what it says. If you sin, I will withhold rain from the land. Who was sinning? Ahab, the king. All Elijah did was going, dude, stop sinning. And the king said, I don't want to. And he said, Okay. It's not going to rain until I tell it to rain. In other words, here's what he said. It's not going to rain until you decide to repent, and we're going to fix all this. So, see ya. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. Then he has the throw down up on Mount Carmel. All that stuff starts happening. Now, my favorite part of all of that, I love this part. It says, because he says, and then he told it to rain, and it rained. Do you remember how he told it to rain? First he goes to Ahab and he goes, it's good to see you repented. God's gonna bring some rain. You need to get ready for it. Then he goes back up on Mount Carmel and he's got his, his, he's got his, his partner with him, his buddy. And he goes, hey, go over there and check because it's gonna rain. Remember he goes over and checks and he goes, dude, stop saying that. There's like no clouds. And Elijah said, you need to go look again. And he comes back, still no clouds. Looks like Arizona out there. There's like zero, man. And he goes back and forth. Listen, Elijah sent him seven times. Just go make sure. He comes back and here's what he says. There's a little bitty cloud way out over the middle. Little bitty one. And he said, get your rain jacket, man. It is gonna pour. And it poured. Here's my point. Elijah was a man, a person just like us. And he believed God. And he walked in that. He read his word and he walked in it. Listen, he's not some mystical miracle worker. He's just a guy who happened to believe God and trusted him. Saints, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be walking in that. So listen, man, he lays that out for us and lets us know, hey, we should be doing, listen again, not controlling weather. This is not about controlling weather. This is about trusting God. And that's his point. Are you gonna trust God or not? And then I love the way he ends the letter. Man, James is like one of my hero Bible writers. He starts, boom, 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 boom. He doesn't say, oh, God bless you guys. Thank you for letting me write this letter. I'm so glad you're receiving it. He goes, you guys are are like blowing it. And then when he stops, he doesn't say, oh, speak to so-and-so, quit reading ahead. Speak to so-and-so, you guys look up, we're going to get there. But he says, listen, he doesn't have this eloquent, like like Paul always has these cool greetings at the end, right? And you kind of read them, not James. Here's what James, James, James ends up with two verses and it's like, seriously, that's the end? He didn't even say bye. He didn't even say amen. Here's what he says, check it out, verse 19, brethren, I like that, right? Brethren... If any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns the sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's how you end your letter? Yeah. Here's what he's letting you and I know. We need to be loving on each other. brethren, If somebody starts backsliding, go get them, go get them. Here's what the church generally does when somebody starts backsliding. Did you hear about so-and-so and what they're doing and where they're at? Yeah, I did hear, Well, we should pray. Here's what we need to pray about. Stop it, go get them, don't you care enough? Now listen carefully, I'm not saying if someone left Calvary Chapel, and they're going to some other church. I'm not talking about those people. Don't go over there and say, what are you doing are that church? Just stop. Don't do that. I'm talking about somebody that you know that's backslidden. Go get that one who's wandering. Here's what I love. He says they wander from the truth. You know what that tells me? There is such a thing as absolute truth. Because James said, they wandered from the truth. They walk away from the truth and you see them and they're kind of, you know, they're kind of over there staggering and we don't care enough to go grab them and bring them back. Man, I want to do that so bad. But if you go after them, listen carefully. Don't go with some self-righteous attitude. Don't go with this thing that you're better than they are and you got it together. You need to go with this. Check this out. You need to go with this. You need to go with the story about a guy who had a little lamb. You guys know what I'm talking about? The guy had a little lamb and next door was the guy, the rich guy with a whole herd of sheep. And he went to the guy with the little lamb and he took away his lamb, remember? Ripped his lamb off and ate it. Remember, that's what Nathan told David. You see, David was sinning, he had wandered from the truth. And Nathan goes, let me tell you a story about this guy who's got this little lamb. Don't you love Nathan's heart? You see, because Nathan was approaching David so David would be restored, not so that Nathan could condemn him. He wanted to give him something, and you and I approach those people so they'll be restored, so they want to come back. And give them that thirst for God again. And I love it. You're going to save their soul from death. I kind of like that idea. And God is going to use us. And we need to be doing that. And then I love the idea. He says, listen, when you do that, it covers, you cover a multitude of sins. That's not saying you take the sin and go, shh, shh, shh. It says you love somebody enough that you're going to love them through that time in their life so that that sin doesn't matter anymore because they're gonna come to Jesus and they're gonna get it taken care of. You care enough to carry them through that. Maybe you could even get on your hands and knees and let them get on your back and you take them for a ride so they can come home. I think of all kinds of ways. Lasso them, drag them in here, do stuff. Do you you guys have family and friends, like I have family and friends that they just won't listen? You know, you try and share the gospel. They're so stubborn. I want to take their heads and I want to unscrew their head. Just take it right off. Dump Jesus in and put their heads back on and screw them back on. But that doesn't work. So you just got to, man, you got to go after them. But you know what? Here's what I know. You don't need to go to a backslider and tell them everything they're doing wrong. They already know you don't need to tell them they're going to be miserable because they're already miserable. There's nothing as miserable as a backslidden Christian. And so, hey, you just go take care of them. Proverbs 10, check this out. Proverbs 10 says this. Proverbs 10 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. So Peter must have been reading Proverbs because Peter says this. Above all, listen as he ends his letter. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Don't you like that idea? Fervent in your love. And then he says this, because love covers a multitude of sin. If we love people and we reach out to them and we grab them and and, and we care enough to bring them back, that is genuine Christianity. That's what Christianity is all about. So saints, go be some pit bulls. And grab hold of those people and don't let go. And tell them, man, I am gonna love you back into the kingdom. I am gonna love you so hard and so out loud that you know what? You're either gonna come back to Jesus or kill me. Hmm, wow. Great way for James to end this, huh? Here's what he's saying. From verse one of chapter one to this last verse be mature in your Christian faith. Grow up, because that's what we're supposed to do. So let's believe God. So my my prayer for us this morning is that we leave here, number one, we leave here knowing that we need to be praying more. Number two, we need to know that we can call. We can call on the elders to pray for us when we're sick that that's a good thing to do. It's not. Listen, it's not some kind of weird thing and they're not gonna get too weird because they won't let me dump oil on your head. They're not gonna get too weird on me. And then you know what? We can love that brother or sister who's backslidden and we can do such a great work that we can keep them. He says, what? From death. Wow. Wouldn't it be good if people knew Calvary Chapel was all about that? Yeah. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this challenge that we've had. And I do pray, God, I pray that as we, as we get ready to leave, as we think about what we've read, and some of us need to make adjustments in a couple places. Some of us are, are doing well, but God, my biggest prayer is that we would trust you and we would believe you so god i ask that as we think about these things that we would begin to walk in them we would begin to flesh them out make them real part of our lives whether it's it's praying when we're suffering or rejoicing with songs and hymns and spiritual songs when we're, when we're happy, whether we're calling the elders, whether we're praying for the brothers and sisters around us, make us that way. Whether we're dragging people back to Jesus, God, let us walk in this and be, be men and women who are committed to doing what God says. And I wanna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer just for a little bit longer. And if you are here today and you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, you've never asked him to come into your life and to save you, man, today is the day of salvation. Right now is the time to do that. And you can call on his name. Here's what I know, man. If you call on the name of the Lord, he will hear you. And by calling on his name, here's what I mean. The Bible's pretty clear that all of us have sinned. It says every single one of us has sinned. And the Bible's clear about what that costs. The wages of sin is death, separation from God. You've offended a holy, righteous God by your sin, and now you're separated. That's all the bad news. The good news is Jesus came and paid the penalty that you owed. And he took that that wrath of God that you deserve, took it upon himself, and now he holds out to you this receipt that's says paid in full. And all you have to do is grab it, man. Grab a hold of it, and you do that by verbally letting him know that you believe him. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, and it's a simple prayer of faith. And if you're watching online, man, say this prayer with us. If maybe your mom or your dad sitting on you making you watch this and God touched your heart say this prayer maybe maybe a kid invited a parent in and, and you're watching this you can say this prayer you don't have to be in here you can do it at home but right now just repeat after me Jesus today I confess to you that I am a sinner I'm sorry God that I sinned against you And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And right now I want you to come into my heart and change me. I'm asking you to come into my life and guide me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.